Good morning. Welcome. For those of you that I have not yet met, my name is John, and I'm excited that you're here with us today. We are actually finishing a series, a teaching series today called Living Alive. You just saw the video, okay? So uh, we're talking about living alive and trying to get this year off on a good foot and how to walk in life instead of walking in death, because we believe that as Christians, our salvation is secured by Jesus on the cross. We put our faith in Jesus for salvation and his death and resurrection for us, and we are saved. And then we walk through life in this, we have this eternal life, but it's our choice day in and day out whether we're going to walk in that life or whether we're going to go back to our old way and walk in death. And that's a choice we have to make. So as we're looking at 2022, this year we want to make the better choice. And so we're finishing that series off today. But I am excited about the series we're starting next week where we're going to take about 15 weeks to go through the Sermon on the Mount which is arguably the greatest sermon ever preached. And so we are going to go through that piece by piece. And not only are we going to teach it here on the weekend, but then we're going to discuss and apply it in our groups during the week. So it's very important. If you are a part of a group last fall when we did James, you know what we're talking about. We're doing the same thing. It's very important that you rejoin that group or join a new group. And if you haven't connected with one here, it's important that you do that. Because as I'm going through that series and teaching, I'm going to spend less time in the message on application because I'm relying on the groups to be doing that when you get together during the week. So if you're not in a group, you're going to miss out on about half of what that series is about. So we have lots of groups, as Jess mentioned. I want to strongly encourage you to become a part of one of those groups. Actually, even though the series starts next week, groups are going to start this week, all right? So you can uh, get more information at the Resource Center. You can talk to Jess. You can talk to me. You can go to the website as well, and I think the button says connect, and then there's a button that says join a group, and that'll take you to our uh, online platform where you can join that group, okay? And that's going to be awesome. That'll kick off this week with the series starting next week. But today we've got to finish things off in Living Alive. We've been talking about these deaths that we need to avoid. Well, we're going to stay away from this year so that we can walk in the life that we've been given. And today we're going to do one that may sound a little weird on on the surface of it. Okay, Today we're going to talk about avoiding the death by freedom. Death by freedom. All right, which may sound a little strange because freedom is a good thing, <laughs> right? I mean, isn't it? I mean, we, I mean freedom is a good thing. I think, I think in general we agree that that's a good thing. Some of you don't want to answer because you think it's a trick question, all right, because of the title of the sermon. You're like, well, I don't know if I should say that it's, that it's a good, maybe it's not a good thing. Maybe it's a good thing and a bad thing. Maybe, maybe like a lot of things, it has two sides to it. We got to be careful, all right? Freedom is actually, I mean, it's a great thing. We talk about it all the time in church. As believers, as Christians, we believe that we have freedom, that God has given us freedom through his son, Jesus, that, that Jesus came to earth, the son of God, fully God, fully man, lived without sin, died on the cross in our place, and rose again on the third day. And if we put our faith in him for salvation, we are saved. And when we are saved, we are set free. We are free from the penalty of our sin. We know we're going to spend eternity with God, right? And so we have freedom, and that's an awesome thing. That's a really good thing. We're free from the law. We have the, we, we've responded to the gospel. We've responded to grace, right? This is awesome. We have freedom. But the problem is that if we're not careful, the same freedom that gives us life, the same freedom that sets us up for really living can kill us. The, the question is, how do we use the freedom that we have? And that's a choice, and that's really what we've been talking about through this entire series. What will I do with my freedom? You know, one of the, um, 
that way of understanding salvation, okay? That we have a free grace understanding of salvation here. It's given to us without any work whatsoever. All we have to do is believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, and then we don't have to do anything to earn that salvation, and we don't have to do anything to maintain that salvation. It's given and maintained by the grace of God. That's what we believe and teach here, all right? But the, one of the practical objections to that that I've heard is, people say, well, if that's true, if you put your faith in Jesus for salvation, couldn't someone put their faith in Jesus and then just go live their life however they want and still have eternal life? Yes. Okay? Absolutely, somebody could do that. All right? People say, well, that can't be true. Well, the thing is that what we do with the truth doesn't make it any more or less true. If people abuse it or take advantage of it, that's on them. That doesn't change what's actually true. We don't determine what's true based on human logic. We determine what's true based on the word of God. And what we learn from the word of God is that he's given us as a free gift salvation. And he gives it and he maintains it, not us. And all we have to do is put our faith in him. We walk in this freedom and it's a choice day by day for us on whether we're going to be faithful to him, whether we're going to walk in life, or whether we're going to walk in death, and we're going to walk in the darkness like we have before. We can have freedom, and we can still walk in death. It's a choice. But that choice is so meaningful. The fact that it is a choice makes it even more meaningful. That it's something that we do of our own free will rather than being forced or obligated into it. And to me, that makes it incredibly powerful. And that's what makes it a love relationship that we have with God. Let me illustrate this through um, one of my favorite, just kind of talk through one of my favorite series of events in Scripture. It's just so beautiful the way that dominoes fall uh, in Luke chapter, or um, sorry, John chapter 6. John chapter 6, all right? If you want to turn there, we're going to be reading bits of John chapter 6 as we go through. I'll tell part of the story. We'll read some of it. I'll tell some of it. We'll kind of do it that way. All right. In John chapter 6, Jesus' ministry is just kind of getting going. He's been teaching publicly now. He's in his mid-30s, which we would call, I was going to say it's, it's like a person's prime, but... I'm 40, so maybe 40 is a prime. I don't know. But Jesus, he's, he's you know, he's, he's a grown man, and he's, he's, uh, he's uh, starting to teach, and he's starting to do miracles as well and healing. In fact, back in John chapter 5, uh, you get the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda, really incredible moment where Jesus heals man. And um, word about Jesus is starting to spread. And so Jesus is, uh, he's, Everything's ramping up, okay? And um, at the beginning of John chapter 6, we read this. John chapter 6, verse 1. After these things, so he's been teaching. He's healed the man at the pool of Bethesda, all that. And then it says, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. It went by a few different names. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. So Jesus, all this crowd starts to follow him. Jesus is really gaining quite a, quite a following, okay? And he didn't have social media to do it. Right? He was doing miracles, and word, it was word of mouth. Everybody starts following him. He had real followers, okay? 
not the fake followers that we have today. He had real followers. And they followed him out to this uh, mountain. He leads up on the mountain. He's going to spend some time there teaching them and, and spend some time with his closest disciples. But then also when he says, when it says disciples in scripture, by the way, that doesn't always just mean the 12 that we know of. Like he had a a larger group of people that followed him throughout his ministry. And then you also had the sort of outer circle of people who were kind of coming to see what was going on and and checking things out. And so uh, what we find out in John chapter 6 is that the number of people that are following Jesus at this point that are in this crowd, it says that there were 5,000 men. All right. And that likely doesn't count women or children. So we, we don't know how many. That would be an estimate. So for our numbers, easy math, let's say that's 10,000 people. There could have been 10,000 people following Jesus and sitting down on this. Think about how many people that is. <laughs> have you ever been in an arena that holds 10,000 people? What is, what is, does anybody know what, like, cricket arena? Is it Bojangles Arena? Does anybody know what Bojangles Coliseum holds? 17. All right, so you imagine like half of that roughly are following Jesus and just sitting down on the grass. He had no PA system. He didn't have a stage. He had this sort of natural amphitheater sort of of a a mountainside. And he sits down with these people and he's teaching them. And the problem is he's teaching them and they are in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) They're over on the other side of the Sea of Galilee and everybody starts getting hungry. That was the first thought. Like, and we have this thought, like when we have classes or events or anything, it's like, well, it's getting pretty close to lunch. Like if we do it after church, people are already starting to think about where they're going to go eat for lunch, like Mambo Grill, you know, which is open again, by the way. Jess and I went last night. Hasn't, hasn't missed a beat, by the way. It's still awesome. Uh, you know, so I'm just trying to get you hungry. No, not sponsored. No, and I think they're actually closed today, so sorry about that. Uh, today that they're closed? Yeah, sorry about that. Um, but uh, they'll hold them back up on Friday. Anyway, the, the people are starting to get hungry, and obviously they realize, and the disciples that are with Jesus helping to manage all, they realize there's no way. Like, we can't, it's too late for a potluck at this point. Like, they're already here. Nobody can plug a crock pot in anywhere out here, and there's, we can't go get food. Uh, it might have been a Sunday. I don't know. Chick-fil-A wasn't open. Or, I mean, 100 Chick-fil-A platters would not even put a dent in this many people. There's no way we can feed all of them. So they don't know what, quite what to do because they want them to stay and listen to Jesus' teaching, you know, of course. But they don't want to send them away or whatever. And so the, but they don't know what to do. There's just there's nothing that, that, that they think practically they're going to be able to do about the problem until this boy comes forward and he's like, well, you know, my mom packed me a lunch today. Uh, it's... Uh, it's not much, it's just, it's five loaves, probably small little loaves of bread and, and two fish. You know, enough for the boy, right? <laughs> that's, I mean, that's a lot for a kid, but kids eat like crazy, right? So he's got five loaves and he's got two fish. And of course, they don't think that that's going to do anything. The disciples don't think that's going to do anything, of course. Uh, nobody does, except Jesus, um, who's like, okay, everybody, that, that's fine. Hey, just take a seat. <laughs> everybody sit down. And then a miracle happens. And I don't, I cannot for the life of me figure out how it happened. I don't know. Somehow the the food multiplied. And five loaves and two fish became enough to feed 10,000 people. I'm just envisioning like it's just a never-ending bag maybe. Like he reaches into the bag and bread keeps coming out or fish keep coming out. Or maybe they just divided like some sort of sci-fi movie, you know, just like divided right in front of them and they saw it happen. I don't know because it doesn't tell us. So we we can only presume. But somehow, miraculously, 
that little bit of food multiplied to feed 5,000 men plus women and children. Unbelievable, unbelievable miracle. And of course, (laughs) everyone is blown away, as you and I would be too. I mean, it says that they, they saw what happened and their response was, he truly is the prophet that came from God. They know something spiritual, something miraculous is happening with this man. And when that happens, they are so amazed, they are so astonished that Jesus is afraid that they are going to take him and they're going to try to make him the king by force. They are so jacked up, so excited. He's afraid they're going to lift him up on their shoulders, Rudy style, carry him into town and make him the king. And it's not time for that. It's not time for that. And so what Jesus does is he slips out the back. And he has a way of doing this when people get too excited about what's going on and try to push the agenda and push things forward when he's not ready yet for that to happen. And you see that happen throughout Scripture. Jesus slips out the back, and he heads up to the top of the mountain by himself to pray. So Jesus goes up on the mountain. Everybody's just sitting there. I, I, I love to put myself in these, try to put myself in these situations because these are human beings going through real-life things. And I can imagine Jesus leaves, and they're like, well, now what? And they're just waiting, okay? And sometime, sometime in, in the evening, the disciples decide they're going to go over to the other side of the lake. I don't exactly know why. It doesn't tell us why. Maybe they were going to go get some food or whatever. But they get in the only boat that's there, and they take that boat, and they head over to the other side of the lake. Well, in the middle of the night, and that big crowd that's sitting there see the disciples get in the boat and go over to the other side of the lake, but they stay where they are because they because th- Jesus is up on top of the mountain, and that's where they want to be. And so the disciples get into the boat, and they get out onto the lake, and when they get out onto the lake in the middle of the night, a crazy storm whips up. And the storm is going, going nuts, and they don't know exactly what or why, but they're just hanging on for your dear life. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this storm, somebody comes to them walking on water. In the middle of this chaos, comes walking on the water to them. And guess who it is? Well, you know, it's safe. Jesus. Yeah, it's Jesus. It wasn't anybody else, guys. It was Jesus. All right. And so Jesus comes walking to the water and basically is like, it's okay, guys. It's me. Okay. This, you know, so this has been a lot to swallow, honestly, over the last few hours. Okay. We see the, we see this man healed at the pool. We see the food being multiplied. Now he's walking to us on the water. Like this is an unbelievable experience we're having. Jesus gets into the boat. And as soon as he gets into the boat, they are immediately at the other side. Okay. Now Jesus and the disciples are on the other side of the lake. The crowd is where they first started. Well, in the morning, the crowd starts to realize that Jesus went up on the mountain, but he hasn't come back down. And the disciples left in the boat, but they never saw Jesus get into the boat. So they don't know what's going on. But they think, we don't know where he is. I guess in the middle of the night, some other boats had arrived on shore. Some fishermen had arrived on shore. And so the people start getting into those boats to follow where the disciples went. And so the big crowd ends up getting back across the lake, and they track down the disciples and are surprised to find Jesus there with them. All right? And they're like, basically, Jesus, how in the world did you get here? (laughs) How did you end up here? 
And this is what happens. We're going to jump back in and read now. All right, John chapter 6, verse 26. Now, all that happens between verses 3 and 26. 26. Jesus answered them. They said, how did you get here? And Jesus says, he answered them and said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because the God the Father has set his seal on him. So what does Jesus say to them when they say, hey, man, where'd you go? His response is, hey, I get it. You're not here. You didn't come all the way across the lake because you're hungry for my teaching. You came across the lake because you want breakfast. <laughs> I know why you're here. I get it. You, I mean, that was, it was good bread. That was, that, was, that was homemade bread, home-baked bread, some good fish. All right, I don't know what kind of fish. Salmon maybe. I don't know. They didn't have salmon there. I'm just kidding. That's not what it was. All right, but it was good, and they wanted more. They wanted him to feed them. You're only following me because you want a meal. You're only following me for what you get out of it physically because they saw, they saw him heal the person. It said earlier that they were following him because they saw him heal the person. So what do they want? Well, they want to be healed, right? Now they're following him because he gave them a meal. Why? Because they want a meal, because it's for them, right? And he says, they, they, they said to him, what do we need to do? Just tell us, what do we need to do? What works do we need to work so that we can work the works that you work? Like, what do we need to do so we can do what you do? In other words, show us what we need to do so we can make our own food. <laughs> I want to be able to do what you do, so tell me how to do what you do. And Jesus' answer to them is, the work you need to do is to believe in me. (laughs) Which isn't the kind of work they were (laughs) banking on him saying. And they basically say, and I'm paraphrasing all this, okay, but they basically say to Jesus, prove it. You know, they said, let me give you an example. You know, when Moses was in the desert with our ancestors, God gave them manna from heaven and that proved that he was who he said he was. That proved his power. So the subtext here, of course, is, Jesus, why don't you just bring some manna? What do they want? Food. <laughs> they want him to give them food. Just bring down manna like they did in the desert. Give us some breakfast. Hungry. And Jesus said the Father, he tells them that the Father gives true bread from heaven. He's talking about spiritual bread not physical bread, but they don't get it. He says, he says, uh, it's the Father brings true bread from heaven, and they're like, yes, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> we want that true bread. And they're thinking, they're thinking about breakfast. They're thinking about a meal, okay? That's what we want. Bring it on. And then Jesus says in verse 35, verse 35, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So you don't need physical bread. You need spiritual bread. And you're just here for the physical bread. 
I hate to say it, but there are a lot of Christians who are just a part of churches and do the spiritual things that they feel like they're supposed to do because they're there for physical bread, because they want God to do something for them. And we talk about this all the time, that God is not a vending machine and God is not an ATM and God is not a genie in a bottle, that he doesn't exist just to give us things. And often we treat him that way, and the crowd is treating Jesus that way. He's just here to do things for us. And he looks at them and he says that he, it says, the scripture tells us that he already knows that they're not going to follow him because of their motivation, because of what's underneath the surface. And he says that I'm the true bread. He says, I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. And the crowd starts to murmur against him. They start to complain. And they're like, oh, no, come on, Jesus, that's taking a little far. Like, I know we, I know we saw you heal a person. I know we saw you multiply food. But still, in our mind, you're still just Joseph's kid, aren't you? They say, isn't this the carpenter's son? I mean, who is this guy? He's not the bread that came down from heaven. And Jesus says in verse 50, this is the bread which comes down from heaven. That one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And now the crowd who has just been here for a good meal is thinking, this got weird quick. It's, I mean, is, I mean is, we're not cannibals, right? That, feel, that doesn't feel right to us. To eat someone is, that's now, I, I was just hoping for maybe some, a fish, you know, or some eggs or some sausage or something, but I wasn't thinking about eating your flesh and drinking your blood. That, that's too much for them to handle. It's too much for them to take in. And they're making the classic mistakes so many people make through Jesus' ministry, and that is taking what he's saying literally instead of taking it spiritually. And they're supposed to be listening with spiritual ears. Instead, they're listening with physical ears. He says, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Verse 58, this is the bread, he says, which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. He's talking about partaking in him, spiritually. Now, even as disciples, this is hard for them. And, and they say, Jesus, this is a hard saying. <laughs> Who can understand it? They don't know quite what he means by it. And the reality is, it, it is a tough saying. And it's hard. Not everybody is going to hang in with Jesus. Not everybody is going to believe in him when it's tough. Some people are just here for a free meal, a free pass, good feelings, miracles, and whatever else benefits them. But if we want to walk in life, it has to be more than that. It has to be deeper than that. For you and for me. And so Jesus lays this out in front of them. And in John chapter 6, now in verse 66, it says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. 
I'm just going to point this out. I do think it's interesting. I don't think there's anything, maybe there's no meaning to it, but that's John 6, 66. Just throwing that out there. All right. Uh, it says, <laughs> I don't know, somebody, maybe somebody, is there, as they were putting numbers on this, because there weren't numbers on it when it was originally written, maybe as someone was putting numbers on this, maybe they put it, maybe they did that on purpose. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the 12, this is, um, listen, such a moment. Jesus turned to the 12. Do you also want to go away? Are you done too? Is that too hard too for you? But Simon Peter answered him, and he tends to be the spokesman. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, there's a lot that can be said about this passage in regard to salvation, and there's argument, well, who was saved, when they were saved, all of that. Uh, I'm not going to get into that extensively today. But all I want to point out here is that given the choice to follow Jesus, given the choice to walk in life and experience truth. Some people bailed because it was too hard or challenging. And some people chose to stick with him. And that choice is incredibly powerful. Any, faced with this, they said, they said, Jesus, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? They didn't fully understand it. They didn't fully get it. And Jesus looked back at them and he said, well, are you going to go too? And they were free to leave. Their life would have been drastically different had they left, but they were free to leave. And Peter said, no, because this is where life is. And so this is where we will be. Hard as it may be, challenging as it may be, at times rewarding, at times not. This is where we're going to be. I know we could go, but I would rather be here with you. And I think that is an incredibly powerful choice. They were committed to Jesus, even though they didn't have to be. They chose to be so that they could walk in truth, they could walk in light, they could walk in life. It's incredibly powerful. Commitment by choice, not commitment by obligation or fear. I think it's incredibly powerful in any relationship for us to have freedom and to choose each other within that freedom. I was thinking about this. I, I told Jess this last night. We, we went to Mambo uh, for dinner, and, uh, <laughs> and we were just we were hanging out, and I said a weird thought. I said a weird thought having to do with the, like, the message this weekend. Like a couple of weeks ago, I was leaving here from church, and I went out and I got in my truck. And the thought crossed my mind, where do, where do I need to go? Because a lot of times I have errands or other things that I'm going to run after we're done here, you know, pick up lunch or whatever, go to Lowe's. Uh, and so, <laughs> why are you laughing? Uh, yeah, go to Lowe's. And so, um, uh, and so I got in the truck. I was like, where do I need to go? And the thought just fleeting, it crossed my mind. I could go anywhere I wanted to go. Like, I am a full-grown man with a debit card. 
You know, I, I, could, I could drive down to the airport right now and buy a ticket to San Francisco and fly out to San Francisco and have a plate of oysters and then buy a ticket and fly right back and be back by, well, tomorrow maybe. <laughs> you know? Like if I wanted to do that, I could do that. I have the freedom to do that. Okay. <laughs> I have the freedom to do that. I could do that. But I'm not going to do that. Why am I not going to do that? Because as, as great as that might sound or exciting or whatever that might sound, I would rather be with her. I would rather be at home with my family. And yes, I, I do have an obligation to her, and I have an obligation to my kids, and that's an awesome thing. But I would rather be there. I choose them. And that, to me, is far more powerful than feeling like you are sitting under a straitjacket of a requirement or a rule or a contract. To choose commitment by freedom, in your freedom, is incredibly powerful. Now, I think, that, I think that commitments, contractual and otherwise, are also healthy and valid. Oftentimes, those things help bridge the gap in those moments where that, that free will commitment may not be there and get you to the other side of situations. But the freedom that we have in Christ and making the choice to follow him is incredibly powerful. And the best life is the one walking with him, walking in his power, letting him lead us and guide us. And so every day, we have the choice. We have the choice of whether we're going to be committed to him or whether we're going to be committed to ourselves or whether we're going to be committed to the world. And the choice that we make, the commitment that we make, is going to change our life now. It's going to change our families, and it's going to change our workplaces, and it's going to change our schools. It's going to change our communities. And ultimately, it changes our eternity because God rewards us for our faithfulness here on earth. So we need to be very careful about commitment to the right things. Commitment to God. And also commitment to each other. Being a part of this church family is a choice. You are free to go. (laughs) You don't have to be here. You don't have to participate in things. You don't have to contribute. You don't have to serve. You don't have to do any of that. On on Sunday mornings, like, on Sunday mornings, you could stay in bed. A lot of people do. But you decide that you would rather be here with your church family. And that's a powerful thing. That's a choice. The, the groups that we're getting ready to start off, like on Wednesday nights, there's a lot of things you could do. There's a lot of choice, other choices you can make, a lot of other priorities you could have. But you choose to get together in groups so you can really process this stuff and learn this stuff and do this stuff. A lot of you show up here early on Sunday to help set up and to help get things going or to serve in the kids' ministry or to do whatever else. You don't have to do that. You have no obligation to do that. You are, not, you are not earning your salvation. You're not doing that. I hope you're not doing that because you feel like you have to. You're doing it because you're choosing to. And that is a beautiful thing, a beautiful thing. Paul puts it this way. He's trying to encourage the churches in Galatia. And he says, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty, freedom, Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor 
as yourself. And so I just want to ask you two simple questions today. In the freedom that you have in Christ, in the freedom that you have, have you committed yourself to God? Have you committed your life to God? And have you committed your life to your brothers and sisters in Christ? Because that is true love. And that's how we use the freedom that we have to walk in life and light rather in death and darkness. Commitment to God, commitment to each other. I would imagine for all of us that we might answer yes-ish. I have a tendency to answer yes-ish to questions like that. Because I hope on the whole my answer is yes, but I can always think about places in my life where the answer may have been no, where, where I'm being selfish or self-centered or where I haven't given something to God, I'm not walking closely with him in a particular area or with my church family or brothers and sisters in Christ. And so uh, what I want to do is take a moment now to pray. And we're going to express our commitment to God in this prayer. And as you're praying, maybe you're praying along with what I'm praying, or maybe you're taking time right now for yourself to to, uh, commit something to God or to confess something to God. But let's use this time to draw us that one step closer to him, express our desire to bring him honor and glory, and to walk in life as we finish out this series. And as we say to him, I want to make the choice. I want to make the choice to follow you. And I want to make the choice to love and serve each other. All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you, um, you are good and you are loving and you are wise. We thank you that though you didn't have to, you in your grace and kindness and mercy sent your son, Jesus, for us. And so we just say thank you right now. Now, there may be someone with us who, for the first time today, is going to put their faith in Jesus for salvation. That they're right now going to believe, express their belief to you, that they believe that Jesus died for them and that he rose again. And as they put their faith in your son, you welcome them into the family. And then all of us, brothers and sisters in Christ, who've made that decision, we want to walk in life. We want to walk in life. We want to walk in light. And we're making that choice in the freedom that you've given to us. We, we understand. We understand that you have saved us and that we have eternal life. But then life now is our choice. And so we ask you, God, right now, to see the, the, the position of our heart, the commitment of our heart, that we want to follow you. We want to walk with you. We want to walk together as we do that. And so anywhere that we haven't given our life over fully to you, anywhere where we've hung on to the world, our past life, our past mentality, our past desires, anything that's not honoring to you, that doesn't bring you glory in our life, show us what it is right now, God. Show us what it is. And our commitment to you right now in this moment is that we will walk away from that 
so that we can walk with you. Give us power in the spirit to do that. Anywhere where we've shut out other believers around us, where we've become self-centered or selfish, where we've drawn in on ourselves, show us. And through the power of the Spirit, the leadership and power of the Spirit, help us to change, to change our minds, to change our hearts, to change our attitudes, to change our priorities so that we can walk with you, so we can walk in life. Help us make commitments, free will commitments to serve and honor you, to serve others. God, whatever that step is for us today, we ask that you lead us to it as we genuinely seek it. And that you empower us as we do. That our life would bring you more honor and glory day by day. That we would walk in closer fellowship with you day by day. That we would walk in closer fellowship with each other day by day. Until the day, Christ, you return here to establish your kingdom. And then on that day, we will be ready, prepared, citizens of that kingdom as you change us even now. It's in your name we pray. Amen.